This is the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover. With me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. We're continuing our series on the parables of Jesus. Chris will fill you in in a moment. If you haven't subscribed to our bi-monthly magazine, Israel My Glory, now is a perfect time to get your free one-year subscription. In our latest issue, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem, when after 20 years, the Jewish people could once again freely go and pray at the Western Wall and walk the streets of the old city. Visit foiradio.org to learn more or to get your free one-year subscription. Yeah, and as Steve mentioned, we're in the middle of our series on the parables of Jesus. Jesus would oftentimes wrap truth about God's kingdom in stories. And today we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18 to the parable of the unforgiving servant, where Jesus teaches that forgiveness is a central theme to God's kingdom. And then we're going to continue our conversation on why Jesus chose to speak to his disciples and followers in parables and then apples of gold. But first in the news, I was reading in the Times of Israel that at a memorial service remembering those Israelis who lost their lives due to terrorism, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called on Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas to stop memorializing terrorists in the Palestinian Authority. It's reported that the Palestinian Authority pays nearly $350 million in salaries to jail terrorists and families of the terrorists who were killed. Here's the sad part, my friends. Those hundreds of millions of dollars spent on supporting Palestinian terrorism against Israelis originates from our pockets. Palestinians receive hundreds of millions of dollars a year from U.S. taxpayers, and I believe it's time we hold them accountable for their use of every dollar that we send to them. On Palm Sunday this year, a group of ISIS attackers entered two different churches in Egypt, killing around 50 Coptic Christians in a deliberate attack against the Christians of Egypt. And in the aftermath of the massacre, a wife of one of the Egyptians murdered in the attacks was interviewed by an Egyptian news agency, and she had this to say about the terrorists who took her husband. I'm not angry at the one who did this. I'm telling him, May God forgive you. Believe me, I'm not angry. I ask the Lord to forgive them. I forgive you. You put my husband in a place that I could not have dreamed of. I am proud of him, and I wish that I could be beside him, and I thank you. Here is a Coptic Egyptian Christian sharing with all of Egypt that she forgives the ISIS terrorists who took her husband from her. Forgiveness is one of the quintessential aspects of being a believer in Jesus. Only Jesus' transformational power working in us by the Holy Spirit can lead someone to say to the person that killed her husband, I pray God forgives you because I forgive you. The disciples dealt with the issue of forgiveness as well. Remember, they asked Jesus, How many times should we forgive? Or for this lady in particular, this Egyptian Coptic Christian, you know, a better question might be this. Is there anything on the table that doesn't deserve forgiveness? I mean, someone that kills your loved one, do they deserve to be forgiven too? Jesus illustrates the power of forgiveness in a parable. 
And this is our second week looking at three different parables in the Gospels. And this week we're going to look at the parable in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 on the unforgiving servant. Listen to these words of this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down on his knees and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. This is such a powerful parable. It involves a servant that finds himself in two different positions of power. The first position is being under the power of the king who wants his money back. You know, Jesus actually compares the kingdom of heaven to this king who wants his 10,000 talents back, which in our day would be valued at millions upon millions of dollars. In fact, the talent was the highest known denomination in the ancient Roman Empire. You know, let's just put it this way. The servant doesn't have the money and now he could lose his family. And so the servant uh, responds by just falling on his knees and begging the king to have patience with him and, and he will pay everything back. And the king, it says, remember, he felt pity. He felt sympathy and he acted in grace and he forgave him the debt. So not only did the servant get to keep his family, he was even forgiven the millions upon millions of dollars in debt. And then the story enters into scene two. It pivots here. The servant now finds himself in a different position of power. But the same story unfolds. After the servant is forgiven by the king, he goes to collect a debt from one of his fellow servants, a hundred denarii, which is really just a couple of dollars in today's currency. The servant now in the position of power demands his debtor to pay back the money. So he started to choke him and the servant fell down at his feet, just like in the previous section of the story, and nearly said the exact same thing. Have patience with me and I'll pay you. The servant had the opportunity to display the same grace the king gave him earlier, but instead he had his debtor thrown into prison. So here's one of the most important things to see here. The king's servant who owed the king millions was completely forgiven his debts 
So there's nothing that he owes. There's no debt on his back. He, he's free from the burden of paying back the king a hefty fee. So when the servant finds himself choking the life out of his debtor, he's not doing it to get money back for paying the king. He's doing it out of his own greed. The king hears about what his servant did over just a few dollars and calls him a wicked servant and condemns him for his actions for refusing to show the same forgiveness that was given to him. Listen, forgiveness is freedom. Let me repeat that again so that it sticks. Forgiveness is freedom. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness and anger like what this servant displayed when he was choking his debtor and throwing him into jail. But see, forgiveness is freedom, and it reveals the radical nature of what it means to be a follower of Christ. When this Egyptian Christian went on the air forgiving the terrorist who murdered her husband, the Muslim news commentator that sat there, stunned as he was watching the TV, said this about this woman. He, He just sat there, and then he said this, listen, Egyptian Christians are made of steel, How great is the amount of forgiveness you have? If your enemies knew how much forgiveness you have, he would not believe it. These people have so much forgiveness that it's in their faith and in their religious conviction. And then he said of the Egyptian Coptic Christians, he said this, these people are made from a different substance. The only reason the Egyptian Christian could forgive is because she was forgiven first. She was forgiven the greatest debt of all, a debt she could never repay, the debt of sin. And God forgave her through the work of Jesus the Messiah. So now instead of choking the man who took her husband and throwing him in jail, which I'm sure many of us would consider a normal response, this woman says instead, I forgive you. And her forgiveness, think about this, it frees her from the never-ending bitterness that would well up from having a heart of revenge Because forgiveness is freedom. And forgiveness is at the center of God's kingdom agenda. Let me ask you this tough question. Are you holding back forgiveness because you're waiting for retribution for how you've been hurt? You know, being hurt by someone is like a debt in a way, and and you want to be paid back for being hurt. Are, Are you waiting for payment? Jesus said, We need to forgive from the heart. Do you remember that section at the end of the parable? Now, forgiveness doesn't mean everything is fine and that a relationship is magically healed. But forgiveness frees you from the chains of bitterness. And if forgiveness is supposed to come from the heart, maybe Jesus is trying to say that forgiveness is more about healing of your own heart than simply mending a relationship. And all of that could only come because of the greatest act of forgiveness that was ever shown when Christ gave his own life so that we might have a relationship with the Heavenly Father.
In Matthew 24.3 it says, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming, and at the end of the age. Jesus' disciples were eager as we are today to know the timing of his return as king. In Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus delivered the well-known Olivet Discourse to help ease the fear that this world may never know true peace. Theologian Dr. Reynolds Showers dives deep into these prophetic passages and gives clarity to this often misunderstood topic. Get your copy of The Sign of His Coming for only $10 plus shipping and handling at foiradio.org or by calling our listener line at 888-343-6940. Once again, that's foiradio.org or by calling our listener line at 888-343-6940. Welcome back, everyone. So last week, we started a conversation on why Jesus would speak in parables. And just a reminder, parables are true-to-life stories that are designed to come alongside truthful statements to bolster that truth, to, to, to make it more memorable. You know, I'm pretty confident that the disciples wish Jesus would just speak very plainly to them about important issues uh, pertaining to the kingdom of God. And I'm sure inside they were thinking, enough storytelling, Jesus, just give us the facts. But there were reasons Jesus spoke in parables. And last week we saw how Jesus spoke in parables to veil the truth from his enemies. The Pharisees and Sadducees, according to Luke 11, were always pressing to try to get him to say something that they could use against him. So Jesus would often veil the truth in parables so that he wouldn't give his enemies any ground to stand on. And today I want to look at another reason Jesus spoke in parables. It's a bit different from last week, but just as important. Jesus would sometimes employ this saying within the parable, and you might have heard it before. He who has ears, let him hear. And a more modern way to translate this is to say, the one who has ears, you better listen. This was Jesus's way of saying, you better pay attention and and listen to what I have to say. It's non-negotiable. There are facts about the kingdom of God that are wrapped up in the story of this parable here. And, And through parables, Jesus wanted to communicate truth about the kingdom of God to his devoted followers. After Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed, his disciples came to him and said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus is saying that embedded in the parables are the mysteries of the kingdom that are given to those who are his true followers. Jesus wasn't the only person to use parables like this. Remember, Parables actually come, we have a few different types of parables that are coming from the Old Testament. And rabbis who lived in a time just before Jesus and around Jesus' lifetime would often use parables as illustrations to help explain their point. 
And Jesus would do the same by supplying an explanation to a few of the parables. You'll notice that Jesus will sometimes add on and explain what the parable that he just said meant. But there were also rabbis during the days of Jesus and in the past that would do the same thing. They would actually embed secrets within parables. They would have more secretive teachings that, was, that were only designed and meant for their followers to understand, to enlighten their followers. So when Jesus, when he taught in parables, he was actually investing in the disciples to enlighten them to the mysteries of the kingdom. Remember, before the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, followers of Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them to enlighten them to the truth of God's word. We have been overly blessed, my friends, by God who has really poured out spiritual blessings, and one of them being the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who enlightens us to the truths in the scriptures. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13 says. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand things freely given us by God. And we might impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. See, part of the parables in in teaching and educating and enlightening disciples and true followers of Christ was that it came through this understanding of letting them hear and see what Jesus was saying. But now, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit allows us to see the spiritual nature of those parables and to interpret them. And we are enlightened because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it says. God has given us the Spirit to enlighten us to, to understand the spiritual truths that he's trying to communicate through the scriptures, which, my friends, even include the most difficult of parables. So when you get discouraged about not understanding a parable or or any passage in the Bible as a follower of Christ, remember that God has given you the spirit to rely on. I always like to start at prayer, like, God, give me the wisdom to understand what you're trying to say here. And then I always like to couple that with asking godly men and women how they have understood the passage. You know, sometimes God wants us to engage with one another through the process of learning and understanding Scripture so that we can encourage one another to know the Lord more deeply. And finally, struggling with a passage is okay. I struggle to understand God's Word, and I'll tell you, I come back to God's Word over and over again and often see different things from the same passage I've read over the years. But it's always good to remember it's okay to struggle with passages. And it's important to allow God to work in you by the Spirit to humble you before his word, and he will reveal his truth in his time. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. I want to thank all of you for the wonderful time I recently had in America. It was so good to be where people can openly sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, without fear. Here in Israel, we can say the Lord or the Almighty, but it will be a long time before we can say the name of Jesus without ridicule. 
on my first day back at work after my visit to the United States. My co-workers were not happy to see me because they know I am not ashamed of Jesus. No one asked, how was your trip? Instead, they asked questions such as, how many people did you lead astray? And are there not enough Christians in the United States already? I told them, it is written, For out of Zion shall go forth a law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And where am I from? Jerusalem. I am happy to be ridiculed for the Lord's sake. I allowed my co-workers to continue mocking. Finally, one asked, Do you have a nervous system? If we were in your place, we would have had a nervous breakdown by now. I told them, Now you can see the big difference between us. As a believer, the Lord has blessed me with much patience. You have cursed me with many unkind words, but I have no hatred for you. If you do not like to speak with me, then please do not do so. However, I only want to help you keep your souls and not lose them. This you can do through the love of God and not through hate. One asked, How can we love you when you have left our God? I told them, I believe on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I went back to my work with a song. I was happy because I know I have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I was happier than on other days, even with all their curses, because the Lord had given me a good feeling in my heart. My friends, on the other hand, were unhappy, and they came to me again, this time with questions. Tell me how you can believe a man is God, one said. I know only what I read in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. David realized his son would be his Lord because he was God. They were surprised to hear this. And one remarked, we thought you spoke only from the New Testament. I said, well, now you can see even in the Old Testament you can find the Lord, Messiah. He is the one of whom Moses spoke in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise you up for a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. How is it that we do not know all of this? I replied, even King David said many times in his prayers, Teach me, O Lord, if you will have the heart of your father David and ask the Lord, he will teach you by his spirit. I thank the Lord that at the end of our talk, they acted more like friends than enemies. Please pray with me that they will come to the Lord for salvation.
Check out foiradio.org to purchase Dr. Ronald Shower's book, The Sign of His Coming, for only $10 plus shipping and handling. Next week, Chris wraps up his series on the parables of Jesus. We turn to Luke chapter 15 and look at the parable of the lost sheep. A quick reminder, you can receive Israel My Glory magazine at no cost for a full year. Visit foiradio.org to learn more. That's foiradio.org. Or you can call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Or write to us at FOI Radio, PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Quickly again, that's FOI Radio, PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Our host and teacher is Chris Gatolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallione, co-written by Sarah Fern, Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people. <laughs>